Good morning, everyone. Last time. Then you get to have a regular rhythm uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, So as you may know, if you've been here for the last several weeks, this is the third week in our sermon series on the theological virtues. So we've gone through faith and hope, and today we are on love. So kids, to start, there's not very many of you, so be as participatory as humanly possible. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a, a quiz, a quiz show. Okay. So I want you to imagine something, raise your hand. If you know my youngest daughter, Molly, if you've ever seen her around, you know what she looks like. She's pretty cute, right? Right, doc. She's a cute kid. Now I want everybody to picture Molly is standing atop this altar. Now we're gonna do a bit of a quiz show. If Molly is on top of the altar and a delicious sandwich is also on top of the altar. And somehow, at the exact same time, both of them are getting ready to fall off of the altar. Kids, which one should I catch? Raise your hand. Should I catch the ham sandwich or Molly? Joy? Molly. Okay, that's reasonable. Adults, is that reasonable? All right. Now, what if... There was a stack of $1,000 and Molly, and I have to catch one of them. Kids, should I catch Molly or the $1,000? Raise your hand if you know which one. Molly. Okay, that's reasonable also. Now, let's say that Molly is on the altar and there is $100 million Getting ready to fall. If I catch it, it's mine. If I don't catch it, it's not mine. But Molly is also getting ready to fall at the same time. Which one should I catch? Now, some of you adults are like, well, I'm judging by the height. I mean, it's probably, (laughs) she's probably going to be fine. It's reasonable for me to go ahead and catch the $100 million. Let's imagine it's not the altar. Let's imagine it's the balcony. Is that a better way to... Because I know some of us are doing an equation like, she's probably okay. We have doctors in the church. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could take some of that away. And, but let's say it's the balcony. Kids, $100 million and Molly. And I can only catch one. Which should I catch? Molly. Right. And that is because I am to... Properly order my loves. And what we're going to be talking about today is uh, the idea that God is love, that love ought to be properly ordered, and love is an act of the will. And so while we're talking, I want you to think about uh, Molly falling, me catching her, and that I would catch her above anything else that was ever going to fall. That equation, we could play out a lot of different scenarios, and I would catch her above anything else, right? And, and so I, I think that that tells us something about love. So you've got an activity sheet. You can listen along and work on your activity sheet as we go. So for the adults, uh, everything hinges on love. So everything we've been doing the last two weeks, all of human existence, um, the, the essence of being our eternity, all of that hinges on love. Love is foundationally, And scripturally, the most important thing that we ought to figure out how to get right. Now, I think I can make that argument based on the scriptures we heard today. Uh, In the Shema, Israel here, this is the most important thing you need to hear, that Deuteronomy 6 passage. The most important thing you need to hear 
is that you are commanded to love God with all of your being. That is absolutely the most important thing. We see in the first John passage that if we don't love, then we're not Christians. That, that, that seems to be the flow of that epistle in first John. That God is love. If we don't love, we don't know God. If we don't know God, then the conclusion would be we have no relationship with him. You can't have a relationship with someone you don't know. So then we wouldn't be Christians. And when Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is asked, what is the most important commandment? He, obviously being perfected in his knowledge of the Old Testament, says, well, the greatest commandment is this. It is look to the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this is foundational to our faith, to our hope. All of it hinges on love. This is a very important thing for us to understand. And in fact, if we don't understand it, then we can't have relationship with God and we can't have true meaningful relationship with one another. And as Christ says, those are the two most important things is to have relationship with God and have relationship with others. And so as we think through this, I really want us to get uh, those three ideas that uh, God is love. It is the most important thing that all hinges on. The most important commandment is to love God. That love ought to be properly ordered, and I think we see that in these passages, and love is an act of the will. And so first we're going to talk about what it means that God is love. Well, we have to define love, and I think the easiest definition of love is um, that love is is an act of the will we'll get to, but love is willing the good for the other. Right. Love is willing the good for the other. So if we think about love, love is eternally existent. So faith and hope weren't in eternity past, which is not a really great phrase for us to understand because eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. That's just our our human way to try to understand things that are far too complex for us to understand. But for us to at least begin to wrestle with it in eternity past before anything else was created, we know that the Trinity existed eternally and we know that in that eternally existent trinity of god the father god the son and god the holy spirit love perfectly existed because god is love right it is an essence of who god is and so how did that work in the trinity that god perfectly loved the father or the son and the spirit the son perfectly loved the father and the spirit the spirit perfectly loved the father and the son that they, they, they had acted of the will to, to will the good for one another. And out of that love, God creates all existence. And I know at times in, in some of a, an increasingly nihilistic civilization, we might think, and I've actually heard and seen writers write and thinkers speak on this idea that perhaps it would have been uh, better to not exist. And, and that's a really depressing and nihilistic view of the world. But if we were to see from Genesis one, that as God creates, it is good when he creates us, it's very good that it is good for us to exist. Our very existence is an outpouring. It flows from the love of God. God wills our good by creating us. The fact that we exist, he wills our good because he loves us. And that, that is an act of, of God. 
So love is this willing the good for the other, for their sake. Uh, The theological virtue of love, God is the object. And so we see that in the Shema and we see that in Christ's assertion that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And then the second is like this, to love your neighbor. That in loving your neighbor, as we see in 1 John, you are loving God. So in the theological virtue, the object of the virtue is God. And like the other two virtues we've spoken about, faith and hope, God is the actor in that. We recognize that in the passage in 1 John 4, when, we, when John writes, we are, God loved us so that we can love God. First, God loved us, enables us to love God. And so that outpouring is a gift to us, just like faith is a gift to us, just like hope is a gift to us. It's something, as we'll get to, we're called to participate in. But it is a gift, and it is not something that we can choose. Um, the, the medievals used to say that the best way to understand love is friendship. And in friendship, there has to be communion, proximity, knowing of one another. That's how friendship, uh, you, you want to will their good. You have to know them, be in the proximity of them. And because of sin, our loves are severed, and we are, not, we are no longer in that perfect proximity in the garden to God. And so the very fact that we've been enabled to love God is because God came to us, right? As an act of love. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, brings proximity to us, which enables us to love. It is a gift from God as a theological virtue. Now, second, that loves ought to be properly ordered. This is... um, a notion first articulated really beautifully by St. Augustine. So raise your hand if you've heard of St. Augustine. If you haven't, then I would highly encourage you to at least read his confessions. Uh, it, is a, it is a theological masterpiece, and I would really encourage you to read it. Uh, one of the greatest quotes in all of human history comes from that book, where Augustine says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So for us to be satisfied, that restlessness of the human heart, we need to be loved by God, and that that love enables us to love God and finally Find rest, But in the rest of the confessions and in many of his works, Augustine articulates the need for a properly ordered love. Because by nature, as James K.A. Smith argues, we are by nature lovers. And so uh, in his really important book, uh, 2009, um, Desiring the Kingdom, Smith argues that for a while we, we fell into this enlightenment trap, the uh, cogito ergo sum. Does anybody know their Latin? I think, therefore, I am. Anybody ever heard that? I think, therefore, I am. So Rene Descartes writes that human beings are essentially, at their very core, at, in their nature, thinkers. Now, Augustine and all of the scriptures seem to suggest that that's absolutely false. But for, for hundreds of years, we lived under that premise That we are by our nature thinkers, which means if we can just think the right things, then we'll do the right things. But if you understand human nature and you've been around people 
or you've examined yourself, you'll know that many times in your life, if you're anything like me, you have thought a thing is wrong. You have known this thing I am getting ready to do to another person is wrong, and yet you've done it anyway. And Smith argues that's because we are not primarily thinkers. We are primarily lovers. That is what we are created to be because we're created out of love. And if our orders of love get disordered, that is the very nature of the sin we bring into the world is when we disorder our love. So Augustine calls this ordo amoris, that the the thing we ought to be seeking for God to do in us is to enable us to properly order our loves. And you've probably heard people list their orders of loves. It's interesting to see many people do that in their Twitter bio. It's a it's a fun thing to watch, right? Like Christian husband, father, right? That's this ordering of loves that you ought to love God your family, your friends. Has anybody ever heard that sort of list, that ordo amoris? I mean, Augustine understands that it's okay for me to love the sandwich. It's actually good. It's an objective, if it's a good sandwich, it's objectively a good thing. Um, It is okay for us to love hikes. It's okay for us to love going on vacation. It's okay for us to love art because they're good things. Those are objects towards which, in which we find a lot of meaning and, and peace and joy in our lives. But if we elevate those things over and above the proper orders of love, then it leads to sin. In, in fact, what St. Paul writes, we, we often say um, money is the root of all evil. Who's ever heard somebody quote that statement? Money is the root of all evil. Well, what does the actual scriptural passage say? The love of money is the root of all types of evil. The love. And it's this ordo amoris. Is it a bad thing to work hard and be blessed with some level of financial success? No, not by nature. Now, Christ warns greatly that it's pretty easy for us to get that disordered. And if we get that disordered, all manner of bad things will flow from that. But what is the proper order of loves? Well, we love things in their hierarchical order. And the most important thing that we ought to love is God. That is the most important thing for us to love. And what is the second most important thing? It is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And why is that? Well, John writes in, the, in his epistle, that is because God is love. So the very fact that you can love is because God has loved you and he's aimed your affections towards him and then enabled you to love one another. And John says, why is it important to love your neighbor? Well, because in your neighbor rests that very love of God. To love what God loves is to love God. An analogy I often use in explaining this is if you wanted to become my best friend, which I know many of you out there have been longing to do. If you would like to become my best friend, but you came up to me and you said, Jim, I love you. I want to hang out with you. Uh, I want to spend time with you, get to know you. But I hate your wife. I want her gone. I hate her. 
the reality is you and I will not be friends, right? You and I will not spend wonderful time together. I won't be inviting you over to my home because you can't actually love me if you don't love the things I love, the people I love. Does that make sense? And so too, that is with the, the order of affections in how we love God. We can't actually love God if we don't love what God loves. What does God love? He loves all of you, every human being you ever interact with. So in not loving them, we are not loving God. And that is why all of our existence hinges on understanding love. Lastly, that love is an act of the will. So we know that God is love. And that we ought to love God. It's the greatest commandment. We know that God has called us to properly order our loves. When we disorder our loves, that ushers in sin. It breaks the world. It makes us sad. As C.S. Lewis says, if we make second things first things, we lose not only the first things, but the enjoyment of the second things. That's an ordo amoris understanding. That is Lewis um, kind of popularizing that understanding of properly ordering affections that Augustine Sets out for us. But love is an act of the will. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means simply this love is not just an emotion. Often we use that term, we understand that term, and I'll use the example of marriage. If, if love is simply an act of an emotion, if you've ever, uh, if you're married, been married, and you remember the first time that you started to fall in love with the person you're married to, there was a lot of emotion in it. If love simply hinged on the emotion, then at least at times in my marriage, we would be in great trouble. And maybe that's just us, but my guess is that it's not just us. Because love is a commitment, an act of the will, that I will her good, she wills my good, regardless of emotion and circumstance. That's important for us to understand because Christ commands us to love. The, the epistle, 1 John, commands us to love. The Shema commands us to love. And it would be an odd and impossible thing to command an emotion. And I'll give an example like this. I have four children, and many times my children have uh, cried and been upset. And I don't like when my children cry and are upset. Not most of the time because I'm this benevolent and kind father, but because it is annoying. Has anybody ever experienced that? I wish I could say it's because I'm this benevolent, loving father, but sometimes it's just really annoying when they're crying. Has anybody ever looked at their child and said, stop crying? Has anybody ever done that or is it just me? Stop crying. I remember uh, the long nights with my son who was not the best of our sleepers, rocking him in the middle of the night and, and saying, go to sleep, stop crying. This command. How does that work when you do that as a parent? It doesn't. It is wholly pointless, pointless especially when they're that young. And so similarly, if love were simply this emotion, how we feel about God and how we feel about others, it would be an odd thing for God to command. But love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. That is why Christ tells us to love our enemies. Because people who seek to do us harm, 
who hate us, who want to harm the things that we love, it would be very difficult for Christ to command me to have an emotionally positive feeling towards someone who hated me, hated my family and wanted to do us harm. Would it not for you? But yet Christ tells us to love our enemy. And what does that mean? Well, it means an act of the will that I will their good, that I long for their good because I long for them to be loved by God as I've been loved by God, which enabled me to love God, which I, I will that it would enable them to love God and enable us to love one another in that selfless act. Right. So love is an act of the will. It is not an emotion. And if you are anything like me, that is very comforting because I am uh, there's a a great book and the name of it's escaping me right now. But they lay out four spirituality types in the book. And um, some people, their spirituality type is emotional. And and you might see that in in worship. They're enraptured in the time of worship as we sing songs. There, There is. A deep, they're moved by deep emotion uh, when they encounter and interact with things that are spiritual. Well, I, I don't. And, and if you're like me, then for many years, that was disheartening. Why am I not always as moved emotionally as the people around me? Am I not as Christian as those around me? Do I not love God properly as those around me? But love is not simply an emotion. Love is an act of the will. And I can most perfectly deepen that virtue of love by loving others, by willing their good, by doing whatever I can to participate with Christ in the redemption of all things, by willing the good of those around me. And a brief note on proximity. Christ carefully uses words. Christ is the greatest teacher in all of human history. And he chooses his words very carefully. You might notice this at many times when he has back and forth with the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish community. He's very careful with his words. So in this passage, in Matthew, they're trying to trap him, as they often do. They, they want to trap him, make him say something outlandish and ridiculous so that they can prove to all his followers that he's nothing um, but uh, a rabble rouser who's trying to sow dissent. And, and so Christ chooses his words very carefully. So when they ask him the greatest commandment, he gives a commandment and then builds upon that commandment. He didn't make up a new second commandment. The second commandment exists because of the first commandment. You ought to love God. God loves people. Therefore, you ought to love people. But he doesn't just say people. He doesn't say Love generally people. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that is an important, if you're struggling with the idea of how do I deepen this theological virtue of love, proximity matters. Love those around you. Even the seemingly unlovable people around you. That use of the word neighbor. There's somebody next to you. There's somebody you interact with regularly in your life. You are called to love that person because by God's providence, he's placed you near them in space and time. And here's how I know that. Who here chose their birthday? 
none of us. So we could have been born 700 years ago. We could have been born 100 years from now. And yet we're not. Out of an act of God's love, he loves to create new image bearers of God. He created you into space and time in a particular space and time. Who here chose to be born where they were born? None of us. He placed you in a specific place. And so God is placing us, loving us, calling us to love others. And the easiest way to to properly order our loves, to see that God is love and to love others is to love God, is to love the people in closest proximity to us as an act of the will, willing their good. That is the theological virtue. And it may sound sort of ethereal and heady, but you can practically will the good of your neighbors today, tomorrow, right now. We can do that. There are really practical ways. And a, a brief note on the, the way that our love is deepened, because all of it is a gift from God and it is deepened by God. As we approach this table, think of the act of love that this is Christ's body broken for you. Why did Christ's body break for us? As an act of the will, willing our good, loving what God loved because God so loved the world. This, this is Christ's blood, the cup of salvation. His blood is shed for us because of the act of the will. And so we come to this table every Sunday. We kneel. We are reminded of Christ's love for us, God's love for us. We are equipped in the sacrament to then go out and love, which is why we end our service Let us go and love and serve the world. We're enabled here at this table. And so today, as we think about the theological virtue of love, let it be deepened in us through the remainder of the service as we approach the sacrament. And then let us go out and love the people in our proximity. Not love people generally, conceptually, but really. Practically, the, per, the people that are placed in our paths by God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, that you loved us, enabled us uh, to love you and to love others. Father, I pray now that we would be moved by the power of your spirit to have that love more firmly understood in our minds, that we would be drawn more deeply to you, that our friendship with you and with Christ and the Holy Spirit would be deepened and enable us to have deeper friendships with one another. It's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.